بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يحده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فإن أحسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى خدا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار So we come today to the uh, final lesson in this series of lessons which deals with the methodology of the Salaf or of the Quran in establishing the Tawheed of Allah Azza wa Jal. And in the previous lesson, in lesson number six, we looked at the way in which the Quran establishes Allah's right to be worshipped alone. And this issue comes after we already discussed in the previous two lessons how the Quran establishes Allah's Rububiyyah and how the Qur'an establishes Allah's kamal, his absolute kamal, his perfection, which of course is the perfection in his names and his attributes. So once those two affairs were established, we then can appreciate how the Qur'an argues for his right to be worshipped alone. And this is by using the rububi of Allah on the one hand, and his perfection in his names and attributes on the other hand, and to use both of those to argue that only only he has the right to be worshipped alone. And that's what we did in the previous lesson. And so uh, in today's lesson, uh, we're going to conclude the discussion. In the previous lesson, we looked at verses in which Allah establishes absolute perfection for himself, and that he alone possesses rububiyyah and the various meanings of rububiyyah whether in general or in specific so for example that he alone is the creator that he alone is the owner that he alone regulates and all of the specific actions which come under that such as giving life taking life guiding misguiding giving sustenance and so on and so forth so this is one half of the rational argument that Allah establishes that only He alone possesses these qualities. Therefore, He alone is worthy of worship. Now, the other half of the argument is what is left. And this now is to falsify and to nullify the other deities which are being worshipped and to prove that they neither possess rububiyyah nor do they possess perfection. And so because they lack these two things, because they lack rububiyyah, and because they lack perfection, they are imperfect in many different ways, therefore it cannot be possible that they have any right to be worshipped. And so this is the general line of argument that we're going to explore inshallah ta'ala in this uh, final lesson. And this completes the argument of the Qur'an in establishing Allah's right to be worshipped alone, and that that is the truth. It is the truth in fitrah, and it is the truth in reason in aql so we established as we said previously that allah deserves to be worshipped alone because he alone possesses rububiyyah and he alone possesses al-kamal al-mutlaq which is absolute perfection and um, the opposite side of that is to nullify shirk by establishing that the all deities besides Allah everything which is worshipped besides Allah that it neither possesses rububiyyah, aspects of rububiyyah, nor does it possess perfection as is found with Allah in His names and His attributes. And so this type of argument you'll see it is very, very frequent in the Qur'an. In most Ayat, in most of the ayat, you will see that this uh, angle of argument is alluded to in many, many different ways, and it is probably the most frequent type of argument 
in the Quran. So we're going to look at these two angles then. So the first part of the talk is going to be how the Quran negates rububiyyah from deities besides Allah. And the second half of the talk is going to be how the Quran negates perfection from other deities besides Allah Azza wa Jal. So as for the first half, then we already established previously that from the greatest meanings which come under the word Rububiyyah, they are Al-Mulk, Al-Khalq, which is creation, Al-Mulk, which is owning, and At-Tadbir, which is regulating and controlling. So these three affairs are the three affairs that make up the meaning of Rububiyyah. And so we see in the Qur'an that each of these three things are systematically, they are negated and denied for all deities which are worshipped besides Allah Azawajal. So we look at some of those ayat in the Qur'an which establish this for us. So first of all, establishing that the deities do not create. And that they themselves are in fact created. So from the ayat in the Qur'an, first of all is the statement of Allah Azawajal in Surah Al-Furqan at the beginning of Surah Al-Furqan, وَاتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِهِ آلِهَا لَا يَخْلُقُونَ شَيْئًا وَهُمْ يُخْلَقُونَ They have taken deities besides Allah, or they have taken deities besides Allah, which do not create, they do not create anything, and they themselves are created. Another ayah which is similar to this is in Surah Al-Hajj, Surah 22, verse number 73. إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لَنْ يَخْلُقُوا ذُبَابًا وَلَوِ اجْتَمَعُوا Indeed, those whom you invoke besides Allah, they have not created even a fly. They will never create a fly. Even if they gathered together for the purpose. And a similar ayah, Surah Al-Nahl, Surah 16, verse number 17, أَفَمَنْ يَخْلُقَ كَمَنْ لَا يَخْلُقَ أَفَلَا تَذَكَّرُونَ Is one who creates like one who does not create? Will you then not receive admonition? In other words, the argument from all of these verses and some other verses that we're going to come to is, is the likes of this one, which does not created, and it, it itself is created. Is it worthy of worship? So the point here isn't just establishing these qualities for Allah and negating these qualities from other than Allah. Rather, they are establishing Allah's right to be worshipped. This is the argument that is, that is, that is being presented. So likewise, in another ayah in the Qur'an, Surah Al-Nahl, Surah 16, verse number 20, وَالَّذِينَ يَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لَا يَخْلُقُونَ شَيْئًا وَهُمْ يُخْلَقُونَ The one that we mentioned, uh, similar to the one that we mentioned earlier on. And also another statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, هَذَا خَلْقُ اللَّهِ This is the creation of Allah. فَأَرُونِي مَاذَا خَلَقَ الَّذِينَ مِن دُونِهِ بَلِ الظَّالِمُونَ بَلِ الظَّالِمُونَ بَلِ الظَّالِمُونَ فِي ظَلَالِ مُبِينَ This is the creation of Allah. So after directing people's attention to the various ayat and signs in the creation, this is the creation of Allah. Show me what have those besides Him created. Rather the wrongdoers are in clear manifest guidance, uh, misguidance, clear manifest uh, misguidance. So, in this ayah, this is a, a, a nice example of how Allah Zawajal, He directs people to recognize the clear apparent signs which are around them. And from them are frequent in the Qur'an, the alternation of the night and the day, the sending of the wind, the sending of the rain, um, you know, the, the sun and the moon, the sustenance, and all these major ayat which every person sees, witnesses, experiences and benefits from. And establishes that this is the creation of Allah. There is no one else who created this but Allah. So show me what is it that those besides him have created. This is a clear rational argument. 
And every person, it, every person can understand this argument very, very directly. And Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, he comments upon this ayah, and he says, how sweet is this wording, and how concise is this wording, and how far-reaching it is in invalidating shirk. For indeed, if they claim that their deities have created anything, alongside Allah creating things, then they are re- requested, they are requested to show where are these things, what are the things that, the, that your deities have created. And if they admit then that their deities have created nothing, which is what they have to do, then it becomes clear that they are not worthy of worship. Them being ascribed uluhiyah, then it is great falsehood, and therefore they have no right to be worshipped. So this is a very, very clear type uh, of argument in the Qur'an. Similarly, Surah Al-Ra'ad, Surah 13, verse number 16, Do they have any partners with Allah? Have they made partners for Allah? Who have created with the likes of His creation. Such that the creation now becomes confusing as to who created what. Again, this is very apparent in, in argument. And also a similar ayah, Surah Fatir, Surah 35, verse number 40. Allah says in this ayah, say, do you see these partners which you have made, which you call upon alongside Allah? Show me what have they created in the in in the earth from the earth or do they have any share in that in the heavens so again a similar argument negating that these deities which are worshipped have any right to be worshipped why because these deities do not have the ability to create and so whilst we're on this topic before we move to the next issue which is the issue of mulk al-mulk which is owning we see that from the disbelievers and from, you know, from the uh, atheists and people like them, you see that nowadays they try to mimic the creation of Allah Azawajal in much of the, you know, technology that they that they that they are bringing about. So, for example, they study the brain and they study DNA, and on the basis of these things, on the basis of DNA, they develop concepts such as computing and data storage. Likewise, they study the brain and the, 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 the neural networks of the brain, and from that they understand how to devise what they call artificial intelligence. All of these are clear evidences that behind the creation of Allah Azawajal, behind you know, us, our bodies, our minds, our brains, the way we function, behind all of that is ilm. Behind it is knowledge, is ilm. And behind it is qudra, which is power. And behind it is wisdom, hikmah. And behind it is irada, which is will and choice. This is plainly evident. This is, this is something, something which is undeniable. So you see, these atheists, these disbelievers, they... In fact, they even have a term, they even have a term for this science which goes to the creation of Allah in order to bring ideas and to mimic those things which have been created. And they call it, this science is called biomimicry. Biomimicry. And it's actually, it's actually a field in itself which, you know, it's... it's in universities, in research departments, and what they are doing is looking at the creation of Allah, which is what it is to us, and because they because they say upon their falsehood that nature has perfected everything. So they are really taking what belongs to Allah of his names and attributes, and they are simply playing a trick with words, and they are ascribing those qualities to nature. See, they're saying that nature has perfected everything. So we see in nature such perfection. 
And we study this perfection to try and mimic the, you know, the, 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 the amazing power and the ingenuity of nature, right? And all of this is just deception and, um, you know, it's arrogance as well. And instead of admitting clearly that this is the creation of one who is wise, all-knowing, able, powerful, willing, and so on and so forth. They simply play word games and they throw these attributes, they have to conceal these attributes and they ascribe them to nature itself. And then they use clever words to hide the fact that this is what they are doing. Right? So as I say, as I've said before, that these people who are present today from the atheists and the naturalists and, you know, we should see them no differently to how they look at what they call the primitive people of the, of the past. Because they say that when you look at the people of the past, they're very primitive. You know, they look at things which take place in the creation, which we understand like thunder and lightning and the phenomena of rain and, you know, things like this. And, they, because, and because there's some sort of force or power attached to these things, they treat them as gods which need to be pleased. Right? So they ascribe to the wind power and, you know, they ascribe to the lightning something and they ascribe to the rain something and they ascribe to all of these natural phenomena. They ascribe qualities to them, which are divine qualities. And then they begin to worship them. Right? So this is how they view the primitives, what they call the primitives of the past. Right? But they too themselves, they are primitives. They are the same. But they are slightly different. What they've done is, they know for a fact that in this creation of Allah, there are that there is has to be knowledge behind it, right? There has to be ilm, there has to be knowledge behind. When you look at, uh, for just for example, DNA and the brain and all the processes and so on and so forth, and when you find, you know, things like sonar radar in bats, for example, bats they they operate by way of sonar radar, right? This is how they can see. They don't see things with eyes, but they send waves and they get a picture of everything that's around them based upon how the waves come back. This is radar. So they know that behind all of this, there is definitely, there is ilm, there is hikmah, there is wisdom, there is irada, there is qudra. All of these qualities, it's undeniable that these qualities are present just by reflecting upon creation. So now what they've done, they've done the same thing as the primitives. They've taken these qualities and thrown them and given them to nature, right? These qualities can either belong to a being, or you throw them back to the things which that being created. And that's what they've done. So they are same as the primitives, giving created things the qualities which belong to Allah. But the difference is that these people have done this out of arrogance in order to avoid worshipping Allah Azawajal. Right? In order to deny him and to deny his existence. Whereas those people, the primitives as they say, they gave other things the qualities of Allah and then they were consistent. Then they worshipped them. Right? Because if you're going to ascribe divinity, uluhiyah to something, then you worship it. Right? So they were misguided but they were coherent. They were following through and they were coherent in, in, in what they were doing. Right, even though they were misguided upon shirk, and these people they ascribe divine qualities to nature, but it is from the angle of arrogance in order to avoid acknowledging a creator and worshiping a creator, and it is a tremendous form of deception that they are playing and that they are committing, and that's why this argument here, this argument that you see here, which is an argument that all of this is the creation of Allah and that therefore only He alone is to be worshipped is an argument also not just against the mushrikun, against the mushrikeen, but also against the mulhideen, the, you know, the atheists and the disbelievers who are present in our time. Because the, 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 the trick that they are playing is like I described, that they're simply hiding the attributes of Allah and throwing, throwing them back into the creation where they do not where they do not belong they belong to a creator and a being 
whose existence is very clear and apparent and evident from his handiwork, as was mentioned or uh, uh, you know explained by Ibn al-Qayyim, rahimahullah, as we discussed in a previous part, in, in an earlier part in this series. So this is the first part then, establishing that nothing besides Allah creates anything. They can take what is in the creation of Allah and they can mimic it and they can reproduce it but they are not the or, they are not the original creators of that thing and of of the scheme of its creation right so this is a proof that only allah has the right to be worshiped alone now the second aspect of rububiyyah which allah denies and negates from anyone and everything which is besides him is the issue of al-mulk al-mulk which is owning and ownership and so this argument is that Allah is the Malik, He is the owner, and the Malik is the king. And as for those who are worshipped besides Him, those who are called upon besides Him, then they do not own even an atom's weight in the heavens or the earth. So we have here an ayah in the Quran, Surah Saba, the 34th Surah, verse number 22. الَّذِينَ زَعَمْتُم مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ لَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَلَا فِي الْأَرْضِ وَمَا لَهُمْ فِيهِمَا مِنْ شِرْكِ وَمَا لَهُ مِنْهُمْ مِنْ ظَهِيرٍ Say, call upon those whom you claim besides Allah. They do not own even an atom's worth in the heavens and not in the earth. Nor do they have any share or any partnership therein. And nor does he, meaning Allah, have any aider or helper from them. In this verse, this is a tremendous verse, and Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah, has some really beautiful commentary upon this. And the basic uh, meaning of the verse is that here in this ayah and the verse which comes after it, Allah has cut off all of the roots of shirk by negating that anyone has any share of ownership in his creation. Neither an angel, nor a prophet, nor a messenger, nor anywhere, anyone else is an owner in an absolute sense of anything which Allah has created. No one owns anything. No one owns anything from, from within this creation. It is all Allah's creation. So people come and they go, they live and they die and they perish. And whatever things they possess in the life of this world are only temp temp temporal possessions. They don't really possess them in reality. Allah is the creator and owner of every single thing and every single atom in the heavens and the earth. So this then, the argument behind this then is to invalidate the worship of other things besides him. Because if a thing or a person or a being does not own anything, even an atom's weight, then he has no authority to be worshipped and no right to be, to be worshipped. And often, as we mentioned in a previous lesson, that the issue of ownership, al-mulk, is often tied to the issue of intercession, al-shafa'ah. Al Allah Azawajal, He negates that anyone has the right or the ability to intercede unless He Himself gives permission first. So no one can make shafa'ah, can intercede on behalf of anyone else with Allah because Allah is the owner of all of shafa'ah. He is the one who gives permission. He is the one who allows on Yawmul Qiyamah. No one else, not an angel, not a prophet, nor a messenger, no one else, has any right to intercede until he gives permission first. And so the issue of mulk, ownership, is tied to the issue of ash-shafa'ah. And that's why in the Qur'an, you will frequently see that whenever intercession is negated from others, it is always connected or frequently connected to the issue of al-mulk, of ownership. So, uh, an example here is the statement of Allah in Surah Az-Zumar, Surah 39, verses 43 onwards. Have they taken besides Allah interceders? Say, even if they don't own anything, 
and they do not understand they do not, do not have you know any any reason say to allah belongs all of shafa'a lahu mulku samawati wal ard thumma ilayhi turja'un to him belongs the dominion of the heavens and the earth and to him shall you be returned so look how in this verse there is a connection between allah negating that these deities are questioning as to why people have taken interceders besides Allah whilst it is known that they don't own a single thing in the heavens and the earth and yet and in the second verse Allah establishes to Allah belongs all of shafa'ah lahu mulku samawati wal ard why? because to him belongs the mulk so there's a binding link in, in both of these two verses one half negates, so it says, why are you taking interceders besides Allah? Why are you taking them? They don't own anything. And in the next verse, it says, to Allah belongs all intercession, because to him belongs all of the mulk. So this argument is, is therefore uh, binding. Similarly in Surah Fatir, Surah 35 verse 13, Lahu mulk. وَالَّذِينَ تَدْعُونَ مِن دُونِهِ مَا يَمْلِكُونَ مِن قِطْمِيرٍ This is your Lord, this is Allah your Lord. To Him belongs the mulk, the dominion. And those whom you call upon besides Him, they do not own even, uh, it is like the, the skin or the thread which is on like the date, the date stone. Right, they don't own even that. So this is now the second thing which is negated from all deities besides Allah, proving that to worship them is falsehood. So whatever this deity is, whether it is an idol, whether it is an angel, whether it is a prophet or messenger like Isa salam or others from the prophets and messengers, whether it is a statue, whether it is a stone, whether it is a tree, all of this to worship these things is, is batil and false because al-mulk is negated from them, is denied for, for, from them. The third line of argument then as it relates to Ar-Rububiyyah, the third one which is left is that the deities besides Allah they do not have any ability or share in regulating the creation of Allah or controlling the creation of Allah and all of the various meanings which come under the word Tadbir, Tadbir. And so the, one of the greatest Verses or passage, uh, passages in the Quran which touches upon this occurs in Surah Ali Imran towards the beginning of Surah Ali Imran and it is, a, it is a verse in fact which comes as a response to the Christians those Christians who turned Isa salam into a deity which they worshipped alongside Allah and so this passage is an answer to those Christians but it also in a general sense establishes that Allah is the controller, the regulator, and that He you know, runs His creation without anyone sharing with Him, or aiding Him, or supporting Him. And this then is an argument that only He alone has the right to be worshipped. Why? Because all of the actions of creating which come under this, giving life that come under this, giving sustenance that come under this, guiding, misguiding, all of these things, they come under this issue of Allah regulating his universe, his, his, his creation. So this passage, Surah Ali Imran, verses 26 to 27. Uh, Say, oh Allah, Malik al-Mulk, the owner of the dominion, you give dominion, you give ownership to whomever you will, and you take it from whomever you will. You give honor, or you raise, you give honor, whomever you will, and you lower and you humiliate and you debase whomever you will. All goodness is in your hand. Indeed, you are powerful over everything. You merge the night into the day, and you merge the day into the night. وَتُخْرِجُ الْحَيَّ مِنَ الْمَيِّتِ وَتُخْرِجُ الْمَيِّتَ مِنَ الْحَيِّ 
you take the living out of the dead and you take the dead out of the living and you give sustenance to whomever you will without measure if you look at this whole passage there's actually an argument here which is in this passage against the Christians and it is along the following lines because the Christians used to claim that because Isa al-Islam he could heal the sick and give life to birds which he would create from clay and that he would uh, give life to the dead on some occasions and he would inform the people about things that were unseen right so people would come to them come to Isa al-Islam he would tell them that in your house you have stored such and such and such and such and he would be right Right, so all of these things, they thought that because of these things, Isa salam deserves to be worshipped. So in refutation of that, Allah Azawajal, He mentioned some other things which show that Allah Azawajal, He's the one who gave Isa salam those powers and abilities and that He also has powers and abilities above and over what He gave to Isa salam, which Isa salam is unable to do. From them is that he merges the night into the day, and the night into the uh, and, and the day into the night, and that he gives life, meaning life after death and death after li- after life, in a way that Isa al-Islam is not able to do. So, for example, he gives the earth life after death. Isa al-Islam is not able to do that. He will resurrect all of mankind on Yom Al-Qiyamah. Isa al-Islam is unable to do that. Right? And so on and so forth. So, that part of the ayah is establishing that Allah Azawajal has powers and abilities over and above what he gave to Isa salam from the angle of miracles in order to prove that he is a genuine prophet and a messenger. Not that he should be worshipped by way of that. No. Rather, these are signs of the nabuwa of the prophethood of a prophet which Allah Azawajal gives to various prophets and messengers. But it does not, not, does not mean that they now, now should be, should be worshipped. So this passage is a beautiful passage. And in a general sense, it establishes that only Allah Azawajal, He is the Malik, Malik, Malik al-Mulk, He is the owner of the dominion. And that He, you know, He, uh, he honors and He belittles. And He gives dominion to whomever He wills. He takes from whomever He wills. Everything is in His hand, all goodness. And that... These great phenomena like merging the night into the day and then into the night, all of these things uh, belong only to him, and so therefore only he has the right to be worshipped. That's in a general sense, that's a general verse. Then there are some specific aspects which come under this, which we see frequently mentioned in the Quran, which we should look at inshallah ta'ala. And so there are maybe four or five in number, um, four or so in number. So the first of them which we see frequently come in the Qur'an, which is a subset of At-Tadbir, of the issue of regulation, is that the deities besides Allah are unable, they do not control benefit and harm. And nafa' benefit and harm. And so this is frequent in the Qur'an, and you see the prophets and messengers use this argument against the polytheists and the pagans to, uh, amongst their people. So, um, an example here is, is in Surah Al-Ra'd, Surah 13, verse number 16, uh, in which uh, we see the statement of Allah, قُلْ So in this ayah, Allah Azawajal, He says, Say, have you, uh, saying to them, say, have you taken besides him awliya? Have you taken others besides him as uh, protectors, awliya, who are not able to control benefit or harm upon themselves, over themselves? So meaning that the deities that they worship do not control benefit or harm for themselves. And if that is the case, how then? How then can they control benefit and harm 
for the one who worships them. In other words, the argument is that this deity is unable to ward off harm from itself or bring about benefit for itself. If that is the case, then how is it going to bring benefit or ward off harm for the one who actually worships it? And so this indicates that this, this is, is, is a, a false deity and should not be worshipped uh, besides Allah. And likewise, uh, in Surah Yasin, this is the man who came from the outer parts of the city, and he said to his people, Shall I take besides him aliha? Shall I take besides Allah deities? إِنْ يُرِذْنِ الرَّحْمَانُ بِدُرِّ لَا تُغْنِ عَنِّي شَفَاعَتُهُمْ شَيْئًا وَلَا يُنْقِذُونَ That if Ar-Rahman was to intend harm for me, those deities, the intercession would not avail me anything, nor would they be able to save me. إِنِّي إِذَلَّ فِي ضَلَالِ مُبِينَ I would thereby be in clear manifest misguidance. So here now the argument of this believer is again along the lines that these deities you are worshipping, if Allah was to intend some harm from me, these deities could, would not be able to ward it off. So how then can I worship these deities besides Allah? And also the statement of uh, Ibrahim Islam to his people, he said, so here, Ibrahim al-Islam, he said, Do you worship besides Allah that which does not benefit you in anything, nor harm you? So again, benefit and harm. Woe be to you. And to whatever you worship besides Allah, do you not understand? Do you not use your reason? And also the statement of Allah Azawajal, when he was uh, in Surah Al-Ma'idah, Surah 5, verse number 76, when he's establishing that Isa alayhi salam uh, does not possess uluhiyyah, does not possess the right to be worshipped, and nor his mother. He said, قُلْ أَتَعْبُدُونَ مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ مَا لَا يَمْلِكُ لَكُمْ وَلَا Do you worship besides Allah that which does not control harm nor benefit? So all of this is very clear and very apparent. And this leads us to the second aspect of a tadbir. So the first is that these deities do not control harm nor benefit. Second then is that these deities do not guide and do not guide themselves. Right. So the issue of guidance and misguidance, the deities are unable to guide or misguide. And so in this respect there's an ayah in Surah Yunus, Surah 10 verse number 35 in which Allah Azawajal he says قُلْ هَلْ مِنْ شُرَكَائِكُمْ مَنْ يَحْدِي إِلَى الْحَقِّ Say, is there amongst your uh, partners which you've set up one who guides to the truth? قُلِ اللَّهُ يَحْدِي لِلْحَقِّ Say, it is Allah who guides to the truth. أَفَمَنْ يَحْدِي إِلَى الْحَقِّ أَحَقُّ أَنْ يُتَّبَعْ أَمَّنْ لَا يَحِدِّي إِلَّا أَنْ يُحْدَى Say, is the one who guides to the truth more worthy of being followed? Or the one who does not guide until he himself is guided? فَمَا لَكُمْ كَيْفَ تَحْكُمُونَ What is with you? How do you judge? So this now is a clear argument then that which one is more worthy of being followed? The one who guides to the truth or the one which itself is in need of guidance? Right. So this now is establishing the issue of hidayah. That Allah Zawjal is the one who guides, therefore He alone is the one worthy of being worshipped. So this is argument, this is number, number two of those things which come under At-Tadbir, Allah's regulation and controlling His universe. Number three is that these deities do not possess the ability to provide sustenance. They cannot provide sustenance to anything or anyone. Why? Because Ar-Rizq, when we look at Ar-Rizq, the food that we eat, whether it comes from plants or vegetables or animals, we can see that all of these things come to us by way of a system of causes and effects which Allah has put in His creation. And they're all tied together as like 
in, a, in, a, in, a, in one uniform way. So we have the sun, and we have the clouds and the rain, and we have the plants, and all of them, they, they function and they work together. And the plants likewise, they provide food for animals. And the animals in turn, they provide milk and transport and clothing and food. So everything is basically tied together. And this is, this is all the asbab, the ways and means which Allah <coughs> has put in His creation. And no one else has the ability to create sustenance. Rather that person himself or herself is part and parcel of Allah's creation and from the ways and means which Allah has put in His creation. And so because no one else is the owner of sustenance, is able to provide sustenance, is able to, you know, then it shows that they therefore do not have the right to be worshipped. And even all of this thing that they do, that the disbelievers do, for example, of, you know, um, creating new forms, genetically modifying things, this itself is a proof that there is ilm, there is knowledge behind the creation of Allah Azawajal. Because, um, let's wait till the other hand's finished. So as we were saying, that even you see these people who, you know, they obviously clearly have the ability where they study uh, what Allah has created, and they're able to modify these things in order to give them a certain color or a taste, or to make them more resistant to, um, you know, bugs and weeds and things like this, or to increase the yield, and so on and so forth. This again is clear evidence that behind all of this, behind rizq, behind the sustenance that Allah has put, there is ilm, there is, there is knowledge behind that. Right? Because this thing is studied, it, it is studied, and so therefore there is ilm behind it which, which, you know, which the Creator must, must possess. So, so that does not make them as creators of sustenance. They are simply just playing with the ways and means that Allah has put in the creation, which they've understood and studied, and then they are manipulating them, in order to, sometimes it's for a, a good cause, sometimes it's for a bad cause. But the point being, that there is no one, who is able to create, or provide sustenance, because everyone is part and parcel, of the ways and means, in Allah's creation. This shows that there is only one creator, and it is Allah Azawajal, and so through this, the argument in the Qur'an therefore then is, and we see this frequent in the Qur'an, uh, where Allah points to the food that you eat or the water that you drink, who is the one who, who, you know, who, who provided that? This is an argument that only Allah has the right to be worshipped, because every other deity does not control sustenance, nor does it provide sustenance. Also, a similar, similar uh, verse would be, uh, a verse in the Quran would be, for example, Surah An-Nahl, Surah 16, verse 73: min dunillah, ma la min wal ard. 
They worship things besides Allah which are not which are not which are not able to control or provide for them sustenance from the heavens or the earth, anything. And they are not able. Also uh, a similar verse, Surah Al Ankabut, Surah twenty nine, verse seventeen, in La Yamlikuna Lakum Rizka Fabutahu Fabutahu Rizka Indeed, those who you worship besides Allah do not control for you any rizq, any sustenance. So seek it with Allah. Seek sustenance from Allah. Why? Because Allah is the one who provides rizq. And worship Him alone and be grateful to Him alone. So here now the argument of Tawheed is all connected in this ayah, connected to the issue of rizq and controlling the issue of rizq. Likewise in Surah Al-Mulk, who is the one who is going to provide for you if Allah was to withhold his rizq? Again, a clear argument for the uluhiyah of Allah Azza wa Jal. And finally, a nice ayah in Surah Rum, Surah 30 verse number 40, in which four actions are made unique for Allah Azza wa Jal. Allahu alladhi khalaqakum, thumma razaqakum, Say it is Allah, Allah is the one who created you, then He gave you provision, sustenance, then He will cause you to die, then He will give you, then He will give you life again. Is there anyone from your from your partners whom you worship who does anything of that, of anything? Subhanahu wa ta'ala Amma Yushirkun. Lofty and exalted is Allah from that which they share with Him, the partners which they share with Him in worship. So once again, you see the connection between worshiping Allah uh, uh, only Allah alone and the falsehood of worshiping others, connected to the issue of these qualities which belong only to Allah. From them is khalq and rizq and ihya and imata, which is crea- creating, providing, taking life, and then giving life. So this is number three from the affairs which come under a tadbir. The fourth is Adamun Nusra, which is the inability of the deities to provide help and support. So the argument here in the Quran is, by giving past examples, which is that if the punishment of Allah comes, and the punishment of Allah has come upon many nations in the past, upon the nation of Ad upon the nation of Thamud, upon the people of Lut, upon the people of Nuh, all these nations that were destroyed. How come then, their deities which they worship besides Allah, where was the Nusra then? How, where, where were these deities? How come they didn't aid you and support you and save you from the punishment of Allah? Right? So the, the, this argument now is that these deities are unable to aid and support. Which means this is a clear argument of their inability, that they, that they do not have any right to be worshipped besides Allah Azza wa Jal. So in this, um, there are many ayat in the Qur'an, I'll summarize just with one or two, from, from the Misrat al-Araf, Surah 7, verse, verse 197, nasrakum. Those whom you call upon besides Allah are unable to help you. And also, very clearly, uh, in Surah Al-Ahqaf, Surah 46, verses 27-28, وَلَقَدْ أَهْلَكْنَا مَا حَوْلَكُمْ مِنَ الْقُرَىٰ وَصَرَّفْنَا الْآيَاتِ لَعَلَّهُمْ, لعلهم يَرْجِعُونَ We have indeed destroyed townships which are around you, and we have given or shown to you many ayat, many signs that you may return. فَلَوْلَا نَصَرَهُمُ الَّذِينَ اتَّخَذُوا مِن دُونِ اللَّهِ قُرْبَانًا آلِهَا so why then did not those whom they took as deities help them? Why didn't those deities help them then? عنهم, rather these deities were then forgotten and lost upon them. This then is their fabrication and what they used to you know, fabricate. The meaning here is that these nations that we destroyed, where were the deities that they were calling upon? How come these deities, these idols, these beings, whatever they are worshipping, why didn't they come and save them from the punishment of Allah? 
Rather, this now becomes clear that those deities that they were worshipping was a mere fabrication. It was a lie and a fabrication and an invention. There was no truth to it at all. Why? Because the inability of these deities to help. So this, all of it, it indicates two things. Number one, that these, that these people and the deities, they were all punished. And the deities were unable to help them when the punishment of Allah came. And therefore, this is a proof that they do not deserve to be worshipped. So these are four lines of argument which is common in the Qur'an in relation to how only Allah is the regulator and the controller and others besides him do not have these qualities, therefore it is false to worship them. So from the four that were mentioned, the inability to control benefit and harm, the inability to guide and likewise misguide, guide to the truth and misguide away from the truth which only Allah does, the inability to control the issue of sustenance, of you know, the, the, the sustenance of Allah Azawajal. And fourthly, the inability to help and to support. So this was really the first half of the talk. Because the time for prayer has come, I'm going to very quickly summarize the second half of the talk in just maybe a few minutes, inshallah ta'ala, uh, to conclude this lesson. And so the second part, so the first half was establishing that nothing besides Allah possesses the attributes of Rububiyyah. Right? Because this is one line of argument that only Allah has the right to be worshipped. The second line of argument is that those deities besides Allah, they, they are not described with absolute perfection. Rather, they are deficient. They possess deficiencies. And therefore, they do not deserve to be worshipped. So we're going to cover that very quickly, inshallah, for the, for the sake of uh, completion. We don't want to leave that open-ended. So... Um, let's begin first of all with an with a important ayah in the Quran, and this is the statement of Allah Azawajal: "Wajalu lillahi shuraka qul samuhum." They made for Allah partners. Say to them, name them or label them. Think about this uh, this verse. It's a very important and very deep verse. The argument in this verse basically is that. These deities that you have made and set up besides Allah, we ask you to name them, name them, give them names. If you name them with names that belong only to Allah, then your lie will become apparent. So for example, if you said, this deity that we are worshipping, whether it is an idol, a stone, a prophet, a messenger, if you said, this is al hay Al-Qayyum. If you give it now the names which belong only to Allah, then your falsehood will become apparent. Right? But if you name them with their actual names, the actual names, this is a stone, this is a tree, this is a statue, this is a human being who eats and drinks and dies and relieves himself. So if you give all these things the actual names which belong to them, then your falsehood becomes apparent as well. Because these things cannot, do not have the right to be worshipped. Right? This is the meaning of the ayah. And Ibn al-Qayyim, he has uh, some nice commentary upon this. I would have loved to go through the commentary. But because of shortage of time, we will actually, we, we will leave that. So, وَجَعَلُوا لِلَّهِ شُرَكَاءُ They made for Allah partners in worship. Say, name them. Name them. So, what are the aspects then from which these things are deficient? Well, we mentioned four or five of them. Number one, these deities are unable to hear and see. Meaning the idols and the statues. They are unable to hear and see. So, uh, an example of this is Ibrahim alayhi salam, when he used the argument against his people, Ya abati lima ta'budu ma la yasma' wa la yubusir wa la yugni anka shay'a. O my father, why do you worship that? which does not hear, nor does it see, nor will it avail you of anything. So here now is the negation of hearing and seeing. Also, the, 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 the question, Do they listen to you 
when you call upon them, clearly the idols cannot listen to them. So this argument is, is uh, mentioned in some detail in the Qur'an with respect to the people of Ibrahim, alayhi salam. And so this is one angle that they, they, are, that they are, you know, uh, they are unable, they don't possess hearing and seeing, so how can they be worthy of worship? The second is they are unable to speak. مَا لَكُمْ لَا Again, Ibrahim al-Islam, he said to, the, to, 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 to them, Why, what is it with you that you are unable to speak? فَاسْأَلُوهُمْ إِنْ كَانُوا يَنْتِقُونَ Likewise, ask them, ask them if, if they are indeed able to speak. And so this line of argument, also the people of Musa al-Islam, when they worship the calf, أَفَلَا يَرَوْنَ أَلَّا يَرْجِعُ إِلَيْهِمْ قَوْلًا وَلَا يَمْلِكُ لَهُمْ ضَرًّا وَلَا نَفْعًا do they not see that this is, this is not able to speak back to them? And nor is it, is it able to control benefit and harm? So this is a second angle from which those deities besides Allah, which are unable to return speech, the idols and the statues, they are, un, they are, they are unworthy of being worshipped. Now this is in relation to things which do not have life. Right? Stones, idols, statues and so on and so forth. What about the line of argument for those things which do have life, right? Because things which have life, they're able to see, they're able to hear, they're able to return speech and so on and so forth. What about that? So with respect to that, we have another line of argument in the Quran, which is that anything which is in need of food and which is in need of drink is created and therefore it is not worthy of being worshipped. And so from that is the same to Allah Azawajal, he is the one who feeds, who gives to eat, and he himself is not given to eat. So this is a clear proof of the complete uh, perfection of Allah in that he is not in need of anything. Not in need of food, not in need of drink, not in need of a partner, a wife or a spouse, not in need of children. Right? He is completely free. He is al-ghani. Free of all wants, free of all needs. He is as-samad, the one who is not in need of, of, of anything, who is perfect. So, and likewise we see the argument in refutation of the Christians, in which Allah says, مَا الْمَسِيحُ بْنُ مَرْيَمْ إِلَّا رَسُولٌ قَدْ خَلَتْ مِنْ قَبْلِهِ الرُّسُلْ وَأُمُّهُ صِدِّيقَةِ كَانَا يَأْكُلَانِ الدَّعَامِ Al-Masih ibn Maryam was not but a messenger. Many messengers have passed before him and his mother was a truthful, righteous woman. They used to eat food. Look at how we explain these things to them and look at how they are, they are deluded. Ibn al-Qayyim mentions some important benefits from this verse. He, there's two basic points. Number one, that Isa and his mother were in need of food and drink which indicates that they are weak in their bodies and that they are, cannot, they are not self-sustained. They are in need of things besides them. Secondly, anything which eats and drinks has to relieve itself of the produce of, of you know, taking that food and that drink. And so this is a subtle hint in the Qur'an, like when Allah says in the Qur'an, "Unzur كَيْفَ نُبَيِّنُ لَهُمُ الْآيَاتِ Look at how we're explaining to them the ayat. It's, it's hinting to the fact that food and drink, when you eat it, you have to relieve yourself. How then can you attribute uluhiya, divinity, to people like, you know, to, to Isa salam and his mother? How can you attribute divinity to them when this is the nature of food and drink? Right? So this is the argument in the Qur'an. And likewise, anything which eats and drinks, it inevitably dies. Everything, every creature which takes food and drink, it will die. So, taking food and drink is connected to death. And Allah Azawajal, He is the ever-living, who never ever dies. Place your reliance upon Allah, who does not die. And so... All of these things, all of these, you know, deities which are which are living, they take food, they take drink, they will eventually die. Therefore, it is impossible for them to be deities which deserve to be worshipped alongside Allah Azza wa Jal. Also, 
these deities are unable to protect themselves when uh, you know they are harmed or um, you know uh, when they are plotted against. And so this also we see in the Quran from them is wala anfusahum yansurun. They are unable to help themselves. La yastatiuna nasra anfusihim walahum minna yushabun. They are unable to help themselves. These ayat are very frequent in the Quran. We'll just finish with a story uh, which is mentioned in the seerah regarding a companion called Amr bin al-Jumuh. This was a pagan mushrik and he had taken this idol in his house as a deity uh, made of wood and it was called Manat. His son was called Mu'adh and there was another Mu'adh you know and heard of Mu'adh bin Jabal, two youth. And what they used to do is they would come during the night and they would take this idol from his house and they would go to a place where there used to be a ditch where people used to relieve themselves, where they used to urinate and defecate. So they would take this idol from the house in the middle of the night and they would dump it into this place. Then in the morning, this man, Amr, he would say, who has transgressed against our gods? This, this night. So he would take the idol out from this filth, wash it again, put some perfume upon it again, and then place it again, ready to, to worship it. So again, they would, they, would, they, would, they, would, you know, they would do it again. And they would do it again. So eventually he came and he thought, well, let me just hang a sword on this idol, and perhaps that will deter whoever is doing this. So then they uh, came... And uh, they took the the sword from the uh, from the you know the idol, and they took the deity again, and they tied it to a dog which was dead, a dog that was already dead. So they tied it with, to the idol to it, and then they threw it into a well. So then this Amr came again. So obviously this this is taking place many many times, and he's perplexed. And he's thinking, well, you know, let me put a weapon on the data. Maybe that will stop, you know, uh, this from happening. Eventually, when he, when he saw this and he thought, the thing which I'm worshipping, tied to a dead dog, thrown into a well, unable to help itself, then he came to his senses. Right? And then he accepted Islam and, you know, he was a, a, became a lofty uh, companion in that respect. And so it took him away from his uh, misguidance. So you can see from this then that the inability to defend oneself, these idols, you can go to an idol that is worshipped and you can you know, put an axe to it or you can do whatever, it's unable to help itself. How can this thing then be worthy of worship? So this is another line of argument uh, in the Quran that we see. So we'll, we'll conclude with that inshallah ta'ala. So the point being in this line of argument, all deities besides Allah whether they are inanimate or animate, living or dead, so to speak, then they are deficient by the very nature of their creation. And so therefore, they do not deserve to be worshipped in any form or fashion, and to worship them is great falsehood. This is the argument of the uh, Qur'an. And so with that, we'll conclude our series. Just one point to finish off on, uh, which is the issue of uh, the adhan and delaying the prayer. It is from the sunnah, that when a lesson is taking place, it is permissible in, uh, to delay the prayer when, it, it, when there is teaching taking place in the masjid. And this happened one time during the time of Ibn Abbas, he was giving a lesson. The adhan for Maghrib went and he continued teaching until the time of Isha entered. And so there was in the crowd an individual, a man, and he started saying, As-salah, as-salah. You're wasting the salah. And so Ibn Abbas said to him, Are you more knowledgeable of the sunnah than I am? And so he, so he informed him that basically it is permissible in the sunnah, in the sharia, to delay the prayer for the purpose of teaching in the masjid. Right? And it is not, you don't consider yourself to be, you know, become angry because the prayer is being delayed, because it is from, it is from the sunnah, it is permissible to delay the prayer somewhat, in order to conclude the teaching which is very, very important uh, for the people. So, 
this is something that perhaps people do not know or they have not been made to understand. I'd start mentioning because we've delayed the prayer by 15-20 minutes. But this is something that is perfectly permissible and you know, there's, there's, there's no harm in that. Uh, and may Allah reward you uh, for your patience. So with that we conclude the seventh lesson in this series. We conclude the series there. Uh, this is a very, very important topic indeed to understand the rational arguments in the Qur'an how the Qur'an appeals to a person's reason to establish the truth of Tawheed, the truth of the Kalima La Ilaha Illallah, and the falsehood of worshipping other deities besides, uh, besides Allah Azawajal. It is something that we as Muslims must understand, because the Qur'an is not, as some people say, like the Mutakallimun, the Ahlul Kalam, that the Qur'an is just Akhbar and Ahkam. The Quran is just filled of just it's just news, information, and rulings that we follow. There isn't really any reason that can be relied upon in argument in order to establish Tawheed. This is the view of, of Ahlul Kalam, the Mutakalimun. Some of them. We shouldn't we should understand that there are powerful arguments of reason in the Quran. The Quran is an appeal to reason. How often do we see in the Quran? Afala ya aqilun, afala ta'aqilun. Do they not understand? Do they not use the reason? Right? The Qur'an appeals to reason, to aql. And in the issue of Tawheed, there are powerful arguments of reason which we should know, which we should know and understand because it aids in calling others to the truth of Islam and to the truth of Tawheed and to the truth of the Kalima La Ilaha Illallah. So with that we conclude our final lesson. Walhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. وصلى الله على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين